2023 was an active year for agricultural issues. So what can we expect for 2024? I talked on the phone over the holidays with Brian Keel. He is the Director of Government and Public Affairs with the ag business consulting and accounting company Pinion. Now he's widely regarded as an expert on many topics, and we chatted about quite a few of them. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Here is this week's Agnet Weekly. I wanted to just kind of get a wrap-up of 2023 and what we saw and then maybe what we can look ahead to for 2024 as far as agricultural, you know, ag business and policy goes. What were some of the key issues that you saw in 2023? Uh, well, you know, there were there were a number of issues that came up in 2023 that affect America's farmers. Um, and I would group those into a couple of categories. Uh, number one, Obviously, trade. Uh, we all know trade is important for America's farmers. 20% of U.S. farm revenue comes from exports. So anytime you're talking about ag policy in the United States, trade has to be one of those topics. And unfortunately, you know, there, there, there was not all bright spots on the trade front. Uh, the good news, uh, we had record exports to China. Uh, we exported last year roughly $40 billion worth of uh, ag trade, about 19% of our total went to China. So we sold them a lot of soybeans. We sold them a lot of other products. Um, and that really helps bolster the uh, ag economy in the United States and keep rural communities afloat. So that's the good news. Um, I think the bad news is we've not really seen uh, sufficient support from Congress or the Biden administration to diversify our export base. You know, it's good that we're selling that much product to China, but I think we're all a little nervous that you know, if we have a war with, if China goes and invades Taiwan, or if we have another trade war with China, we're really relying on them, 20% of our exports. So we'd like to diversify where we send food and ag products. And in order to do that, we need to open up the markets. And we really, as a country, have been behind the ball on that. So 2023, I think we'd get uh, poor, poor marks in terms of uh, really expanding ag trade. Um, one thing the Biden administration did that was great and that we support, uh, they announced a $1.3 billion regional ag promotion program paid for out of the Commodity Credit Corporation. So they've, they've proposed this big market development effort. We think that's fantastic and certainly can help bolster the ag economy. Um, but we also need to open new markets with trade agreements, with tariff reductions, uh, you know, really working government to government. And, and we, need, uh, we need to see that kind of activity stepped up in 2024. Um, so that's trade. Obviously, there were other topics that important to ag. Um, another topic that I would flag is um, spending for agriculture priorities. Um, and there we really saw in 2023 a lot of partisanship around um, around these issues, which is unfortunate. Agriculture has traditionally been kind of a bipartisan effort. Whether you're Democrat or Republican, you support farmers. Um, and unfortunately, we've seen politics creeping more into the ag funding space. Um, so the Biden administration, to their credit, um, pushed the Inflation Reduction Act, which put a lot of funding into ag programs. Uh, so things like Renewable Energy for America program or REAP uh, for farmers to have renewable energy, funding for clean fuel production tax credits for, um, for our biofuels industry. Just a lot of money went out for, uh, for farm programs and for tax incentives that benefit farmers. And 
really significant increases in those programs. So programs like Equip that are always oversubscribed for the first time in a long time have a lot of funding and farmers are able to sign up for those programs. So that's really good. The, the, the downside is that Congress, of course, has started trying to claw some of that funding back. And uh, and so we've seen this sort of partisan fight creep up where some of the Republicans have been trying to pull that money back. Um, they'd like to reprogram it for other ag purposes. The Democrats and the Biden administration have been saying, no, they want to hold on to that funding that they passed. Um, so that's that's a flashpoint that we've been watching. Um, another flashpoint has been around ag appropriations. Uh, Congress um, traditionally has worked in a bipartisan fashion on agriculture appropriations. This year, we saw the House of Representatives bring a ag bill, a USDA bill to the floor that had such dramatic cuts to USDA and the farm programs that uh, it failed. Uh, they couldn't get the votes within the Republican caucus to support that bill. So a coalition of Democrats and farm state Republicans took that bill down and said, no, those cuts are too draconian. Um, once again, we're, we're hopeful that in 2024, we'll see the parties work together to, to, to really support U.S. agriculture. It's a big hope with as divided as everything has been <laughs> recently. It, it is a big hope. And, um, and you know, I, I, I do, I, I am mindful that, that when you can build a coalition of like-minded people across both sides of the aisle, you can get things done. And, uh, and so to have farm uh, farm state Republicans uh, working with Democrats on these issues, I, I think there is a coalition that can, can get things done. And, and I would put the farm bill in that category. Uh, we'd obviously hoped that we would see a farm bill pass in 2023. Um, Congress did not get that done, um, in part because they were distracted by other things. Uh, you know, government shutdown, overall government funding, uh, the war in Ukraine, the war in, uh, in uh, Israel and the Gaza Strip. So we're hopeful that Congress will come back and pass a farm bill early in 2024. And, um, and I think there certainly is bipartisan support for doing that. Once again, there's a, a critical mass of Democrats and Republicans who understand farm bills important both for farmers and for food programs, for, for supplemental nutritional assistance programs for, for people in inner cities and, and, frankly, throughout rural America who depend, depend on food assistance. So we're hopeful in 24 we'll see that farm bill get passed. Now, there's been some talk, which I think that there is uh, just about every time we see a farm bill come around, um, once again, of separating out nutrition and farming, of you know making them two separate bills instead of keeping them together as one. Um, in your expert opinion, what do you think of that? Is it easier to, does it remain easier uh, to get it passed if we have those two together? Absolutely. And I think I think anyone who's proposing to split those two apart just doesn't understand agriculture and and the politics around uh, around getting a farm bill done. I mean, we've we've been able to move farm bills through Congress every four years because uh, we can pull together a coalition of people who care about nutrition and a coalition of people who care about farming. Uh, they're obviously closely related topics, but it, it's a coalition that includes urban constituencies, uh, you know, tend to be more democratic and more progressive, and rural constituencies, which tend to be more Republican and more conservative. And that's the coalition that, that gets the votes to get these bills done. If, if there was an effort to split these apart, 
or if there's an effort to really take the, the meat cleaver to nutrition programs in this bill, you will not get a farm bill passed and, um, and farmers will suffer and, and frankly, America's food safety net will suffer as well. Yeah. Um, let's go back to trade for a minute, if we can. Uh, looking at the planned trade missions for coming up in 2024, um, they tend to focus on uh, um, continuing relationships, I guess I'll say. Um, and for some of our specialty crop listeners, there was a couple of, of uh, trade missions in particular, um, India specifically, where um, there's easier or better trade um, – sorry, I'm – my brain is having a hard time today. That's okay. <laughs> um, they have they have lifted some of the tariffs and changed some things and made it easier for some of our specialty crops, especially tree nuts, um, to get it back into India or to be trade more freely in India. Um, is that helpful? Do you think? And I have not seen any. Um, I haven't seen anything come out about work on new markets. Uh, or new trade deals coming? I mean, you know, you kind of mentioned it previously that the Biden administration has not been focused on creating new trade deals. Do you see anything like that coming up? So a couple, couple responses. One on India. Uh, so I actually just came back Friday from, from a trip to India talking about trade issues. And there I will give the Biden administration high marks. They really, I think, did a good deed for U.S. agriculture by getting India to roll back the tariffs they were putting on almonds, on uh, apples, on pulse crops, a lot of things that are really important. You know, before President Trump's steel and aluminum tariffs, which started a global trade war, uh, India was the third largest purchaser of American apples. Uh, so you think about for, for apple growers nationwide, Super important market. Um, once the steel and aluminum tariffs went into place and India retaliated, our apple exports to India dropped to zero. I mean, we virtually lost that whole market. And these are markets that take decades to develop and, you know, to develop the relationships to be able to sell the product. So just catastrophic harm to, to certain industries. So again, Kudos to the Biden administration for rolling back those, getting India to roll back those tariffs and, uh, and increasing U.S. ag exports into India. You know, this last month, India, official, I guess it actually happened in April, India officially became the most populous country in the world. Uh, they have more people now than China. So when you think about where we need to be selling ag products, Think about where the mouths are. Um, you know, 1.3 billion people in China right now, they're purchasing $40 billion worth of food and ag products. That's great. India, uh, another 1.3 billion people or slightly more, but they're not purchasing anywhere close to what China's purchasing. So I think there's a lot of room for improvement on India, and we need to really invest in that relationship and, uh, and open up that market to, again, increase pulse crops, increase tree nuts, um, you know, increase uh, of other products that we'd like to see go into India. Ethanol is a big one. Air quality is such an issue in India. And uh, and if we could sell ethanol into India, that would be a, a big improvement. So that's India. Beyond that, we really need to look at opening up new markets around the world. And, um, you know, there is talk of trying to move a free trade agreement with Kenya or with the United Kingdom, both of which I think we would strongly support and think, you know, anytime you can open new markets to U.S. food and ag products, that's a good thing. 
But we really need to look at those places with a growing middle class. So a lot of Southeast Asia, uh, think Indonesia, think Vietnam. Those are countries where we should have free trade agreements and be selling more food and agriculture products, um, really opportunities for growth for U.S. agriculture. We've kind of covered my two main topics, you know, trade and then the farm bill, of course. But are there any other key topics that you think are coming up in 2024 that we should keep an eye on? Uh, well, so one one topic that we've been tracking at Pinion is obviously tax. Uh, we do a lot of work with farmers all over the United States, uh, helping them prepare their taxes and think about how to structure their businesses to minimize their tax liability. And there's a couple of things on that front that are worth thinking about. Um, number one, a lot of farmers and a lot of food processors and ethanol producers rely on the research and development tax credit. Uh, so this is a tax credit in the in the uh, Internal Revenue Code that farmers and food processors can access if they're taking innovative steps. And and surprise not surprisingly, but most people don't connect these dots. You know, most farmers live innovation. They're they're trying new seed mixes or they're trying new tillage uh, approaches. They're 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 always changing up their operations to try to improve yield and tr- try to to impre- increase profitability. So a lot of farmers, uh, ethanol companies, food processors, equipment manufacturers rely on the R and D tax credit. Um, Congress, unfortunately, in 2017, made some changes that really hurt companies that rely on R&D. They they repealed immediate expensing under Section 174 of the tax code. That's something we at Pinion have been working to try to reinstate uh, so that farmers who rely on research and development uh, can, uh, can expense, deduct those expenses in the year in which they're occurred as opposed to having to expense them over four or five years. so tax policy is an issue that we obviously track very closely. We're also looking over the horizon to 2025 because a number of the tax cuts that occurred in 2017 are starting to expire. So bonus depreciation, as an example, is already being phased out. Um, we're looking at uh, the ending of uh, of the step of the uh, increase in uh, in uh, limits for um, for estate tax uh, and gift tax. So really important for farmers as they're thinking about 2024 to be thinking about estate planning and recognizing that right now we have an amazing situation in terms of our ability to do estate planning. But when those provisions expire, uh, it's going to get much harder to do estate planning. So it's, it's well worth thinking about that today. Estate planning is always an important topic too in you know, farm succession planning and keeping the farm running, even through changes such as that. So that's an important topic to keep on top of. Absolutely, and and I think it's one of those things where people people don't really always understand how important it is to do it early. You know, I I think we all want to believe we're going to live forever. So you know, it's it's natural to be like, oh, I'll I'll deal with my will or my estate plan. You know, next year or two years from now. But what I think people don't understand is, you know, in 2017. Congress doubled the exemptions that can be claimed for for estates. Um, so right now, you can protect a lot of your wealth from from uh, inheritance taxes. If those provisions expire a year from now, your ability to protect that wealth goes down dramatically. So if if you have an estate and you want to pass it on to your kids and you you haven't dealt with it, you haven't developed a trust or a plan. 
um, you know, whether you work with Pinion or if you have your own tax advisor, I think it's it's something people should not be putting off. So that takes effect when you create your plan, not necessarily when the plan goes into action. To put, to put it. That's 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 correct. Okay. Yeah, if you if you take advantage, for example, of gifting, if you take advantage of that doubling of the amount you can gift, if you gift it in 2024, it doesn't matter if you then pass away in 25 or 26 after that that provision has changed. You've already done the gift, so it's it's important to take advantage of these provisions while they exist. Thank you once again to Brian Keel, Director of Government and Public Affairs with Pinion. That's this week's Agnet Weekly. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Thanks for tuning in.